Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be here. It's so, I'm so glad it's not going to be 90 today. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. Where's Tony? Is he in the room? He's here. Hey, there's Tony. He's over by the door, the bold guy waving really big. Uh, he's, he's our other pastor. And so we're so thankful that you're here today. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and open to Romans chapter 12. We're going to get there here pretty quickly. Romans chapter 12. Um, just want to say a couple things. Hey, Sarah. Sarah is like the only person that goes to Hawaii and on the first day breaks her foot. That is the worst story ever. Like once in a lifetime, Hawaii, and then you break your foot. Are you all right? It's good to see you. Um, hi, Stephanie. Hi, Trenton. What's up, guys? I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. You back for the weekend? I'm just going to do that with everybody. You guys ready? Um, hey, hey, how, how's it going? Hey, Tracy. Hey, hey, uh, Beth. Hey, everybody. Um, so anyway, hey, I'm thankful that everybody's here. Haven't seen some people in a while. Larry's back here today. I don't know if he's in the room right now, but Larry's been sick, and we prayed for him as a church. Um, so Larry, we love you. He's out in the lobby taking care of people. He doesn't even know I'm shouting at him, and we're, we, we're so thankful that he's back. If you don't know Larry, he's one of our deacons here, and he's been, like, really sick for, like, like weeks really coming up on months. And so we've been praying for him and, and he's back. And the last thing I just want to say before I get started today is I'm so thankful for those of you that came out to our men and women's discipleship kind of launch. Um, man, we had so many people show up and there was such excitement in the room. And it's just another sign that God's just like moving us all in the same direction at the same time. It's just incredible. And I'm just so thankful and I'm so thankful to be your pastor. And I'm so thankful to be here today. Man, I love you guys. I really do. So anyway, all right. So if you haven't been with us, we're in the middle of our series called Disciple, and we're in week three. And really what we're, we're looking at is what does it mean to be a disciple? And, and if you were here, you heard this, but one of the things we said is we originally were going to call this series Discipleship. But we've, we, when I really prayed about it and thought about it and we talked about it as a leadership team, we knew that that wasn't the right thing because so often... When I say, or when people say, hey, what is it, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? And this, re, this happened at our discipleship meeting on Thursday. Most people immediately start listing all the things that disciples of Christ are supposed to do. Right? That's our immediate thought. Now, are there things that we're supposed to do if we're followers of Jesus? Of, of course there are. Of course there are, right? But all of that is defined by who we are. And so we called this series Disciple because that's really what we're discipling people. That's why we do discipleship is to point them to their identity in Jesus Christ, who they actually are, and then everything else can flow out of that. And so here was the, here was the foundation of this entire series is really the, this, this definition that we have for disciple. Do you have that over there, Robert? So here's, here's our definition. A disciple is a follower of Christ. Like that's, the, that's really the definition of it, a follower of Christ, someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, and says, I will follow him with my life. So a disciple is a follower of Christ that by faith has been united to Christ and through an ever-deepening relationship with God is growing to be more like Christ. And so a follower of God has been united to Christ. And that, that's really what defines you, that you've been saved, but you've been united to Christ, meaning your old self has died with him. And actually believing that, all the sin paid for, everything you've ever done is really washed away and made clean. And that you're now made holy and righteous in Jesus because you've also been raised with Jesus. You've been united with him in his resurrection. And so he's given you his holiness and righteousness. And through that, you can approach the throne of God because now the Holy Spirit lives within you. So you can come, as we saw in Hebrews last week, you can come before the throne of God with boldness. 
You can come and cry out to God with confidence, even in the midst of your sin, and knows he hears you because he's already paid for it with the death of Jesus Christ, which you share in, and the resurrection which you've been made new in. And so us understanding just the enormity of our identity because we've been united to Christ, that's what empowers us to grow to be more like Christ, knowing who we are and coming to God through that ever-deepening relationship that teaches us what it means to really love And that love will spill out of us and we will do the works that God has called us to. We'll we'll bear fruit for the kingdom of God. But as we talked about in discipleship on Thursday, the number one thing that God, the number one fruit that God is going to bear through us is love. Now, fruit for the kingdom of God can be loving the poor and doing good things and feeding people. Yes and amen, that's part of it. But the really the root of all of it, what we're trying, the fruit that God's trying to bear in us and is love, because if we truly love people, we will do those things. So that's kind of the foundation of this whole series. And so out of that, us understanding that, us going back to it all the time, we can't talk about this enough. Maybe you get tired of talking about because really, It comes back to this every single week at this church, right? But this is the thing. This is the thing that will empower growth and for you to be more like Jesus Christ, to be restored back into the image that you were created and which Jesus reflects. This is the foundation, most important thing about you, the most important thing in your life. But out of that, we can look at what discipleship looks like. How do we disciple people to understand that more and more and more? And so what we're doing with the series is we're really just looking at the model that Jesus Christ gave us to follow. So Jesus, as we talked about last week, Jesus discipled the gathering, right? People would gather around and he would disciple them. Um, Well, and how did he do that? He would teach them. And the main thing he would teach them is about the kingdom of God and what it means to follow God into the kingdom of God. He was really teaching them about himself, although they didn't know that yet. So that was the number one thing he was teaching them about their identity and being a part of the kingdom of God. But he also gave them very practical things to do, as we talked about last week. He talked about anger and divorce and all other kinds of very practical things that we're to walk in. And so last week we talked about that's why it's so important for you not just to attend church, but, but be a part of the church, be a part of the family of God and to be here. Like scripture commands that we don't avoid the gathering. And over the last few years, we've gotten used to avoiding the gathering, but like we are meant to be together, to worship God, to give him glory and use our gifts to lift each other up. It's what we're meant to do. Church is not supposed to be an optional thing. And I I made the point very strongly. This is not about you checking the religious box. I went to church, I'm good to go. No, it's not even about you coming here to get filled up, which I I hope you are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It's about us gathering together so that we all might be discipled. This Me preaching right now is discipling all of you, the masses, so that we might be of one heart, one mind, going in the same direction together in Jesus Christ, who is our head. And that's why the gathering is so important. That's why we can't treat it as optional or something we're gonna do if something better doesn't come along. And that's just the reality. We're, we're meant to be together. This is, this is a meant to be the foundation, the rock, the, the most important thing in your life, the, the family of God, your relationship with God and the family of God. So we saw Jesus disciple the gathering. And then we see Jesus disciple the few or the, the small group of people. Like he had his disciples and the other people that are around all the time, like Mary, and he would disciple them and he would teach them in a much more personal way. Much more intimate way. He knew, I mean, Jesus knew everybody, right? He would speak right into somebody's heart the minute he met, met them. We don't get the advantage of that. But even with his disciples, he went much deeper, much clearer. He would teach something and nobody would get it. And then he would go with the disciples and explain it to them very specifically on what it meant. So he would disciple the few. And they really, what they did is they did life together. He couldn't do life really with the masses, but he could do life with the few. And then we see Jesus disciple the one 
or Kayla, the one up to three, right? It was a big thing at discipleship if you weren't there, sorry. Um, yeah, I said some really confusing things and, and Kayla brought us clarity. But anyway, the, the one, two, or three. So we see Jesus pull away James, John, and Peter and disciple them specifically. Or we see him pull away just Peter and speak directly into his sin or into his life or to encourage him. And so that's the pattern that we follow at Freshwater. We're gonna disciple the gathering. We're gonna disciple the few, the small group. And we wanna disciple the, the one or the one, two, or three, a much smaller, much more intimate thing. And so that's really what we're doing. And all of this is so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. The la- one of the last things that Jesus Christ ever said to you, go and make disciples of all nations. All right? And I think most of us have heard that before, right? The Great Commission. We're to go teach people to be followers of Christ. Lead them to Jesus. We're to baptize them. And then what? Teach them to obey. That's the greatest call on our, on our life. Bring glory to God by leading people to him. People being saved brings God glory. And then teach people to obey him. And not just obey him, but the last thing Jesus says in the Great Commission, I'm with you always to the end of the age, to realize what it means that Jesus is always with you. The power, the strength, the hope, the peace, to know that Jesus wants you to obey him so that you'll really and truly know him and realize he's always with you. That's what this series really is. And so I could say a lot more on each of those topics, but Romans 12 is going to do it for me today. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be really focused in on what does it look like? We talked about the gathering last week. What does it look like for the smaller group that we, that we disciple the few, like the 12-ish size? And so we're going to be focused at, for us at Freshwater. That really means talking about life groups. But before we actually ever talk about life groups, let's look at what scripture says about what kind of family we're supposed to be. So open up to Romans chapter 12. And before I really, we really start reading, I do this to you all the time, I know, but the first five words of Romans 12.1 are, I appeal to you, therefore. Some of your translations might start with the word, therefore, right? And so when I, I'm going to say it over and over. So when you're studying scripture, you'll think about this and you can't get it out of your brain. When you get into scripture and you see a therefore, what do you need to do? See what it's there for, because it's saying, because of what came before, the next part is true. And we can't really understand what he's saying here without understanding what came before. It's easy in Romans because it's only referring to the first 11 chapters. So good luck, right? But here's the beautiful thing about Romans, and I want you to feel the impact of this. Romans is 16 chapters, right? The first 11 of them don't really talk about anything practical that you're supposed to do as a believer, anything that we're supposed to, any real fruit that we're supposed to bear. The first 11 chapters are about the gospel, about the life, the death of of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and all the implications that come with that. Not just that you are a sinner and deserve the wrath of God, yet Jesus went to the cross to pay for that so you could be redeemed, so that you could be saved, so that wrath could be turned into blessing, but also that because you've been unified to Christ— You are now a child of God, adopted into his family, and a fellow heir with Christ, which again, I say this all the time, blows my mind with what that even means. Fellow heir with the Son of God in heaven. It's amazing. You were were adopted. You were grafted into the family of God. That's who you are, right? You're not someone that God saved and now puts up with. You are his child. You are his beloved, and he wants you to grow, and he wants you to obey because he loves you, because he wants you to see who he really is and who you can be in him with all the hope, all the joy that he's promising you. So that's the first 11 chapters of Romans before it gets practical at all. Now we're going to get to Romans. What we're going to start with is Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I want you to feel the impact of this. It finally gets practical about how you move forward, and it only spends two verses on you before it gets to community. 11 chapters on Jesus and the implications of that and your identity 
and only two verses on how you are actually supposed to move forward in that. Read them with me. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of, will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, when we were actually in Romans, we went through the whole book, I said, I think this might be two of the most important verses in Scripture of understanding how you move forward in Christ. There's so many implications that come out of these two verses that the rest of the New Testament will like flesh out for you. But what this is saying is, I appeal to you, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for you and because of who he has made you, brothers, by his mercy, all the mercy he has shown you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. What that means is, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I'm going to start, because of what Christ has done and because of what he's done in me, I'm going to look at every aspect of my lives and try to live for his glory. Like with my family, with my spouse, with my job, with my hobbies, all of it. How can I live in a way that brings God glory? And it says, which is your spiritual worship, which means this is how you worship God. You want, like, worshiping God on Sundays, right, is not singing. That's a piece of worship that we can all do together and praise God for our worship team, right? But that's why they changed the name from let's, um, they lead worship to the, the heads of the music ministry because it, it gives this false idea that this is worship and the rest of this is just gathering as a church. No, worship is all of your life. How can I live for God? You go to, you go to your job with a bunch of people that, that you like and a bunch of people you don't like and you think, man, how can I display the love of Jesus Christ to this workplace, the people I can't stand and the people I love today? How can I be a reflection of him today? And that doesn't mean you're going um, to everybody at work and say, sit down, I got to tell you about Jesus. Because we all know that's not going to work. Maybe sometimes we need to. But it's reflecting, it's bearing the fruit of God. The number one thing, love in every aspect of your life. When you're treating your spouse terribly, just stop thinking about all the things they did wrong and start thinking like, this is how God's called me to love. How can I love this way? How can I ask for forgiveness? How can I show grace? How can I show mercy and, and lead the way of pointing them to Jesus so then maybe you both can be reconciled and move forward together, right? It's every aspect of your life, worship. That's the number one thing that we do, right? Every aspect, how do I live for the glory of God? And then out of that, verse two, do not be conformed to this world. How much time do you think we could spend on this? I think when we preach through Romans, I spent two weeks on these two verses, Right? Do not be conformed to the world. We're constantly being conformed to the world. Constantly. It's always fighting to make you someone other than um, someone who finds their identity in Jesus Christ. Always. The world is beating against you always to long for something other than Jesus. To make something else the most important in your life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through your union with Jesus because you've been resurrected with him. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Church, this is why we say things like, pastors say things all, like all the time, hey, you need to be in the word. And sometimes, listen, that comes off as judgmental. Like if you're not, well, you're not reading your word. Okay. Well, I guess you're not a good Christian. And some of us grew up with a little bit of that or have had people like, that's what this is. The, the, the words of God are found here. You want to know the will of God? It's here through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how God transforms you. The Holy Spirit working through the word in your heart, through prayer, through relationship in the word. That's how you're transformed. Just this week, I went through, I, I, I struggled on Monday. I was talking to other people who struggled. I was thinking through this passage. I had like thing after thing happen this week and verses that I have not looked at or studied in a long time just kept coming up, 
coming up, coming out of me because they were there. And listen, I'm a pastor. I study this all the time. I realize I get more time to, uh, at this than you guys do, right? This is not condemnation or anything like that, but I just want you to see like all of a sudden verses I hadn't thought about forever were there because God, I just felt like God brought them to mind and it was what that person needed to hear. They needed their mind room. But um, Robert was talking about this week. You know what it did for me too? I got to say them and I got to talk about how important these things were. And God was transforming me as I used this, the word of God to help transform other people through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what discipleship's supposed to be. And so what it says, renewal of your mind, without having the word of God in your heart and in your mind, then you have nothing to battle with against spiritual forces that are trying to destroy you. And listen, and your own sin is enough to try to destroy you. But those two things working together, you're longing for the ease of sin and spiritual forces trying to destroy you. God is saying all these things over and over because he loves you. He wants your mind to be transformed so that you might be like Christ. So you might live in the image that he created you to, to be in before sin destroyed that. So this says by testing, really, like, but live this out. Live out this way. Test this thing. Live out my promises. And then it says, you may discern what is the will of God, what is a good and acceptable and perfect. Man, you live this way. You live in obedience to God, having your mind transformed. You can walk with confidence before God because, listen, you're not going to know the will of God in every little minute detail of your life, but the overall trajectory of your life that Scripture speaks to, you can walk in confidence because you know you're walking faithfully and you're walking in holiness. And where you take a, a, maybe once in a while you take a little wrong step to the right because you don't know exactly the will of God, listen, you don't have to worry about those things because God's got you. So many people just stress over what is the will of God for my life. Listen, pursue him. Have your mind transformed by him. Be growing in him. Genuinely pursue holiness. And then you know what you do? Just move forward because God's got the rest. Even if you do mess it up, but you mess it up trying to pursue him, God's got it. He's sovereign. He's in control. You don't have to live in fear. This is how we are transformed. This is the most important relationship in your life. Because of the gospel, because of your identity, this is how you pursue God in worship. Two really big, important verses. But again, we get two verses on how you are to pursue God alone before it gets directly into community. 11 chapters of the gospel, two verses on you, right into the importance of community. Look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, with real humility is what that's saying. Each according to the, the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, with passion, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Church, doesn't that speak into what we talked about last week? If you're here, the importance of the church, that not only are we to gather together and take that seriously, like be here together to be disciple through the teaching of the world, word, but we're, what also we are members of one body. We're members of each other. The head is Jesus Christ, but we're united together as his family. And through you being saved, the Holy Spirit gave you gifts. And you are meant to use those gifts for what? 
the building up of the church. God did not give the gifts that he gave you for you or for you to do well in your career, which it can work out that way, right? He gave you those gifts primarily so that you could help build others up as they use their gifts for help building you up. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 was talking about last week. All of us using our gifts so we build each other up in love so that we can be more than we could ever be without each other. That's how God designed this thing. That's why Sunday morning is so important, right? And I say Sunday morning, it's the gathering of God's church so that we can all use what God gave us to make us more than we could ever be alone. We also looked at Ephesians 4, which says, this, this is one of my number one jobs, not to just preach, but to equip. That's why this is discipleship, to equip you for the work of the ministry. Like the job of the pastor is not to do all of the ministry, I'm, gonna take, I'm supposed to take responsibility and lead the way, but I'm to equip you for the work of the ministry. Why? So that everyone can use all of their gifts. Everyone, we can all grow into the maturity of Christ to be more like Christ. So we're all built up in love. And it finishes with love again. All of this. So we equip each other to be more like Christ and be built up in love. So that's why the gathering is so important. That's why we need to be here. That's why it can't be optional because we can't do this without gathering. You can't do these things without being together. And I think, listen, I know most of you in this room, if, if church attendance, and I, I'm not trying to like make anybody feel guilty today, but if church attendance is kind of sporadic for you, I know that if you've come to church three or four or five or six or seven times in a row, like what God is doing in your life and, and how spiritually healthy you feel versus if you've missed church three or four or five times in a row, you can feel the difference, can't you? Especially if you come here earnestly and you hear the word taught and it washes over you and the Holy Spirit works, you know that you need this. Like, I'm not up here preaching something you don't know or just trying to make you feel guilty. Church attendance is the most important thing. You know that's not me. You need this. And I need this. Because this is how we are built. This is how God designed it. He is our head. We is the body. We is the bride moving forward together. Amen? Amen. That's, that's what, this is how it's supposed to be. But this is not the only thing that it's supposed to be. Because there's things talked about in Scripture that there's no way we can attain on a Sunday morning. There's no way we can do them for each other on simply attending once a week on a Sunday morning. And that's what we're going to get into Romans 12, verse 9. I think it's 9. Let me look. Yeah, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. Read with me. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with a brotherly affection. I love this one. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, how would our church be, how would life be if this was our, one of our goals in life? To outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11, do not be slothful, lazy in zeal and passion. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Not just church people, in the sight of everyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, we're going to look through those again here in a second. But I just want you to see from that one list, what, nine verses? 
how impossible it is to live all those things without Jesus Christ. To be that patient, to be that humble, to be that loving, like our pride and our selfishness and all of those things are getting in the way all the time. Our past, our resentments, our angers, our bitternesses that we can't let go of. Or Christ, listen, he's asking you to let go of your anger and your bitterness and your resentments because he loves you because they're like cancer eating away at you. But we hold on to them. Like all of these things, to live just a few of these things are so hard. This is why we need to be a disciple and realize who we are first. Let Christ transform us into and live in our identity or we have no hope. All this list is is shame and guilt for you not being good enough. But... If you understand the gospel, if you understand that, that God gets this, like this, listen, this is why Jesus came. And we don't make our failures in these things bigger than what Jesus did on the cross. We actually believe that all sin has been paid for. That Romans 1, 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation. You are not condemned if you are in Jesus Christ. If we believe that and we can come to the throne with confidence, when we fail in these things, we can confess those things, we can repent those things, and then turn and move forward because Jesus has already paid for them. Yes, we take them seriously. Yes, we feel the weight of them. Yes, we, we feel guilt, but we take the guilt to the cross so it can be washed away and we can move forward in Jesus. Because how could you even do this list? But if we find our identity in Christ, listen, he can and will transform you into these things. It's not an if. These are promises and God doesn't lie. You lie, I have lied, God doesn't lie. These are true. As I said in discipleship on Thursday, I used to be a very not patient, ungentle person. I don't have it all figured out yet. I haven't arrived on those things yet, but God has, given me, has, has transformed me so that there is at least some gentleness now and some patience. I'm not the man that I was 10 years ago. Praise God. 10 years ago, this list was unbelievably daunting to me. 12 years ago. And now I'm like, you know what my thought when I read this is? Praise God for this list. This is what I want to be. This is the kind of man I want to be and I want to reflect to the world. So I want to look at the list one more time. I just wrote them down. I'm going to read off. I'm going to change some of them to be in my own words a little bit. But I want to read these things because these are not just good things for us to do, which they are. I dare say it, they're commands from God of things that we're supposed to do and live out. Love one another genuinely and with affection. How would it transform the way we love people and the way we think about love if we just, like we just focus in on that word, genuinely? How, how hard is it really to love someone in the way Christ calls us to love them, genuinely? That alone is really difficult without Jesus, but like it's so beautiful because if we could really genuinely love each other with real affection, it would transform things. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Again, I love that one. If that man, if we could just do that in the church, it would transform things. Don't be lazy, but be passionate in your service to the Lord. And a lot of your service to the Lord, glory to him, worship him, yes. But a lot of the service to the Lord is actually serving others, right? So be passionate in your service of the Lord and serving others. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in difficulty. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Give generously to fellow believers in need. That's the kind of church we want to be. Yes, we give outside of these walls. Yes, we want to help the poor. But we, it starts with us being generous with fellow believers, having a heart of generosity that spills out of these walls into our community. Show hospitality. Be welcoming to people. Make people feel welcome and like they're a part of the family. Bless those that persecute you. 
That's like four sermons on that one, that, those five words. Bless those that persecute you. That is hard. But that's the kind of genuine love that God is talking about. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with one another. Listen, this is in my own words, but listen, it's saying don't be prideful, but associate with the lowly, meaning associate with, other, with, with those that other people might look down on or think they're too good for. I'm just gonna be really blunt, that, that in your heart you think, no, they're, they're too dirty, they're too messed up, they're too evil, they're too sinful, they're too, they're too whatever that is for you, they're too this thing, that those are the people that you're associated with because you know, most of the time, those are the people that need Jesus more than anyone because there's such brokenness. A lot of times, generations of brokenness that's been woven into their hearts. Don't be wise in your own sight. Like, listen, we shouldn't ever be talking about how we have it all together or, or that we're amazing at this thing or amazing at that thing or you're like so quick to talk and so quick to share our amazing opinions. Man, this one's been really, really convicting to me over the years that I need to stop and listen to other people and not think I have everything figured out and not think I'm awesome at these things, but just in humility, serve and love. That one is hard. Don't be wise in your own sight. It's hard for people like me anyway. Repay no one evil for evil. Strive to, to do good. And also, listen, be seen doing good. Be seen doing the honorable thing. Not so people will be like, oh, what a good guy. But listen, if we can do the honorable thing because Christ has called us to do the honorable thing, if we, if we do the good thing simply because we want to make much of Jesus Christ, people will see the honor that we're giving to people. They'll see the good that we're doing, and they'll see that we're different than the way the world works. That's why we want to be seen doing the honorable thing. Not for you, for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel. The last one I've got from the passage is live peaceably with all. Those in this church and out of this church, those who have hurt you and those who love you, those who love Biden and those who love Trump, right? Live peaceably, show honor to all. This is what it means to be the family of God. And it's not the only thing, but man, Romans 12 does a good job of summing up for us. Two verses on you and your relationship with God and then an outpouring of this is how you live this out truly within the community of God because you can't, can't do this alone. It's only a matter of time before your sin or before the world, or before your anger, or before your bitterness, or before your lust, or before your greed, or before your fear, or before your idols start to own you and pull you down into the darkness because you can't do this alone. So that list, the one I listed out, which is the one in scripture, I want, don't shout it out, but look at that list. How many of those can you do by yourself? How many of those can you, can you do without really, without deep community, honestly? Because maybe you could say, well, I can, be, I can be patient in difficulty. I can be patient in tribulation, right? And that's, it. that's at least partially true. Yes, you absolutely can. But listen to me, the, the, the hardest things that have happened in your life, how many of those things are because of other people or because of your own heart? How many of the, the most difficult things that have happened in your life are in relationship to other people? 
Listen, be patient in difficulty. You can do that some, like if you have sickness and be waiting on the Lord and be patient on the Lord and praying like, yes and amen, but really to do this well, you can't do this alone. So much of the heartache of your life comes from the things that you've done to others or they've done to you or in relationships in some way. Or even if you just deeply love someone and they're going through difficulty, it's hard to be patient and wait on the Lord, isn't it? Sometimes it's even worse. If my wife was really sick, but God make me sick, not her be sick. That's hard. Like you can't even do that one alone. Rejoice in hope. Like, yeah, I can rejoice in the hope of the Lord. Yes and amen. I want you to do that. But listen, we are meant to share that hope. We're meant to rejoice together in that hope. We're meant to leave these walls and go out. And if people who are hopeless and don't know Jesus, we are called to share the gospel, to rejoice, have joy in the hope that we have and that we want them to have. You can't do that one alone. I can keep going with all of them. But we can't and we shouldn't rejoice, rejoice in hope. Maybe prayer. Of course you can pray alone. I'll, I'll, this will be the last one. We can be constant in prayer and that should be between you and God. But if you're only praying about your relationship with God and what you want God to do in your own life, which by the way, yes, amen, do that. Do that all the time. Be constant about that. But if your prayers never take you to cry out on behalf of other people, then you're missing it. And not only that, we're, we're supposed to pray in a way that is meaningful, genuine love. How can you have genuinely, with deep love and affection, cry out on someone else's behalf if you don't really know them? I mean, some of you, praise God, we're with us. We're praying for Larry over the last few weeks. But some of you don't really know Larry. How much more meaningful is it? I'm not saying, I'm, don't feel guilty for not knowing Larry better. Like, you're not in his life group and all this stuff. Well, that's, not, that's not the point. But how much more deep, how much more affectionate, how much more loving, how much more powerful are your prayers if you actually know Larry, and you deeply love Larry, and you are crying out to God on his behalf. You can't do these things alone, and you were never intended to. You were never intended to. So here's what I want to do. I just want to read a few more. I want us to see a little bit broader of a picture of this. We're going to, not too many weeks ago, I don't know, maybe a month ago, Maybe, Kelly, maybe you can remember. I told you all to read the one another's four or five weeks ago, probably. Yeah, I said, go, go, on, go online. So this is the only time I'm ever going to tell you this. Google something in the Bible. Google the one another's Bible and get the list. And Kelly actually did it. Thanks. And I said, look over just a few of these and think, man, I want to grow in this one and pray over that. Well, I did that this week because that's really what Romans 12 is talking about, the one another's that we're supposed to do for each other. And... I, had a, I found a list of 55, and I would say probably five of them were questionable whether they were really one another's, because this list was a little bit janky, but it was pretty good. Um, but mostly it was just quoting scripture, so I let it go. And um, let's, say there's, let's just say there were 50, 50 to 55 one another's in scripture. 20 of them, 20, had to do with love. More than a third, almost half, had to do with love. So if you ever get sick of us talking about love, 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 love at this church, we cannot possibly talk about it enough because it's at the heart of everything we do. Love God, love other people, but it's also so hard to consistently, genuinely, with affection, love people. It's so hard. So I didn't write down all of the one another's that have to do with love. I wrote down some, but can we get those? The one another's? Here's just some of them. Have peace with one another. Build up 
one another. I wrote it down there, admonish, which means to warn firmly. In love for one another, we're to warn each other firmly if needed. If somebody's walking into sin, walking in the darkness, we can't be cowards. We got to step into that situation in love and warn firmly, admonish firmly because we love them, right? Bear the burdens of one another. Like just think about the weight of that one. You, that it takes really deep community to be able to do that one well. Bear the burdens of one another. Have humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and love for one another. Be tender hearted towards one another. How many people in our culture actually value that? How many men in particular value that, to be tender-hearted towards one another? Forgiving one another. There was a lot of them that said forgive too. Encourage one another. Do not do evil to one another, only good. Encourage one another so that no one may be hardened by sin. That's one of our main roles. Encourage each other in Christ so that sin doesn't harden our hearts. Remember when I said alone? If you're alone, your, sin, your, your life is eventually going to be hardened. Your heart is going to be hardened towards God in one way or another. That's just going to happen because we weren't meant to do this alone. Where am I? There. Don't complain about one another and don't judge one another. Confess your sin to one another and pray for one another. I think we got another slide. Listen to this one. Confess your sin to one another and pray for one. That was the one we had. Love one another from the heart, right? Genuine love. That's why I love that one. Love one another for a love covers a multitude of sins. Have you ever actually thought through that one? Your love for other people in church and pointing them to Christ will protect them from sin. Listen, hear this. God has given you that responsibility. Not the pastor's not the really, really mature Christians, even newer believers. We love each other, which sometimes means we admonish them to cover a multitude of sins, to keep them from walking in sin. If you're not engaged in the family of God, you're not doing this one. Is that convicting enough? Like, that's just the reality. That's the reality that we're walking in. If we're not engaging in this way, we're not doing that one. And someone might be walking or more tempted to walk in sin because you're holding your gifts back. You're holding your love for them back. That carry the weight of that. And hey, if you, need to, if you need to confess that to the Lord, take that to the Lord, be forgiven and move forward. But like, feel the weight of, of that passage. That is, that's heavy. That's important. First Peter 4, use your gifts for one another, serve one another. And then I just love how John describes us as beloved. Like we think of ourselves too often as the, the people that God puts up with, but no, we are his beloved. And he says, beloved, love one another. Church, we not only should do these things, but we can't do these things outside of deep community, family-like community way more than Sunday morning community. I think I, I shared enough that how much we need the gathering of the saints, but that is not enough to live this kind of faith. We need to find our identity in Christ. We need to, to gather to be discipled in Christ. And then we need to meet as a family so that we can truly do the things that we're talking about today. And that's, that's the point of today. So I just want to give you some of the things that, that I've walked through in Life Group. Just a few for the kind of community we're supposed to be. And I haven't had perfect life groups, and we haven't always had it all figured out. But, man, we've had some really deep relationships in life groups. Christy and I have led them for the last, what, 12, 13 years. And we've had, I don't know, at least a dozen life groups. But we, these are the kinds of things that we're talking about. These are really practical things. We've seen people get great jobs that we've been praying for. Sometimes we pray for things like 
hey, I really want this job. And I really think, will you pray with me that, that I get this interview goes, why don't I get this job? And we've seen people get those jobs and just celebrate and be really excited for them. And we've seen people lose jobs out of the blue and just really be terrified for themselves and for their family. And we've had to walk through that with them and help hold them up as the fear and the worry started to take over so that we could point them to Jesus and let them know they're going to be okay and we're with you. We've seen people, man, have children. So many children. <laughs> Wait, what is it? One life group we're talking about? Like all three of them came that week to share an announcement that they were pregnant and really excited. And like one announced and then the other announced. And then at the end of the life group, the other one's like, we haven't even shared this with our family yet, but you guys shared, we're pregnant too. And like everybody's like, like, we have celebrated in our life groups, the birth of children. And it's amazing. And our church has so many kids and it's beautiful. And I was walking around this morning with one of my arms and I just, he just kept laughing and smiling and it was a joy. You know what else? We've lost children through miscarriages, We've lost children after birth. We've lost babies. I've done, I've done as many babies and children's funerals as almost as many as adults. What a blessing and a curse it comes from a church that's so young like ours. Praise God for that. But I don't end up doing a lot of old people's funerals yet. I do a lot of children or mourning with people who wanted children so badly and had a miscarriage. And we have, we have wept together over those things. I mean, I'm about to lose it. Just wept. We've seen people get married. We've seen people within our church get married. And just, I've, we've done those marriages. I've done those marriages. We've done premarital cancer, but we celebrated those in our life groups. Amen. And, and it's just been such joy. Amen. And we've seen marriages, and we've had to walk through marriages that were falling apart. And it's just devastating. Especially if you're trying to save your marriage, and it's not, it's just, it's falling apart, and you don't know how to save it. We've had to walk through people with that. And we've seen lost people saved and just rejoiced and thanked God. People we've been praying for, and like God answered prayer, and it's amazing. And again, we have been praying for people over lost family in our life groups for years and not seen them see them saved yet. And listen, and wept over those things together because it's so, sometimes that, that pain of fam, lost family members is distant, right? We let it kind of fade off in the distance, and then sometimes it's just so near, it just wants to rip you apart. Because you know, eternity's at stake. We gotta never stop praying for lost family members and calling out their names to God. We, we've celebrated successes and joys, and we have so often confessed depression and anxiety and worry and fear and pain and suffering so that we could walk through it together. We've encouraged each other in sanctification and seen people grow and move forward, and it's fantastic. And we've had people just confess sins, sometimes that have owned them for years, and then start to get freedom from those things and move forward. How tragic it is that in most churches, I don't even think this is true, how it feels in a lot of our hearts that it felt like in most churches we couldn't confess our deepest sins because of the judgment that people would have on us when the church should be the place where it should be safe for us to confess those sins because we're in the place that's a hospital for sinners who we have the great physician who heals those things, yet we feel like we can't confess them because we're worried about judgment. Judgment that I actually might even be there. But we've seen people confess sins and begin to move forward. Deep, dark sins. We have seen people give generously to those who are in need, and a lot of us have been blessed generously when we were in need, and my family's a part of that. We have given and we have received in amazing ways. We've seen people make amazing personal discoveries in Christ, and I just love those moments. Moments when they didn't even really know, not just the sin, the sin's the symptom, right? They got to a heart issue where they, don't, they found 
I don't trust Christ in this. And on that day, for whatever reason, it finally hit them that this is the thing that they've been holding onto so dearly. And Christ breaks it open and puts his light into it. And we see them start to grow in amazing ways. That is, those days are so good. But you know what else we've done? We've walked through people who have struggled with the same sins, the same apathy, the same seemingly desire to move forward, yet stuck in the same place for years and years where the victory and, and growth in Christ just feels so far away. But again, we don't abandon them, do we? We walk through it with them until it breaks through. We've confessed our fears in sharing Christ with other people because a lot of us have a lot of fears in actually doing that. And man, we have celebrated those who have gone and they've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes leading to salvation, sometimes just leading to one step forward in the relationship and then knowing Jesus a little bit more. This is what life group is meant to be. Not just these things, but this is what we want it to be here. And I know some of you have been in life groups like that. And some of you have been in life groups that weren't like that, but we are working and praying diligently. So this is what every life group is going to look like going forward because this is what scripture communicates. First Thess- Thessalonians 5 says it wonderfully like this. And we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for, you always want to pay attention when you see this line, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he adds at the end, do not quench the spirit, meaning the spirit has empowered us to do all of these things for the growth in all of these things. And all of this in the context of 1 Thessalonians 5 is in the context of community together. These are the things that we're being called to. This, listen, this is the will of God. It's not some pastor saying, come to church and go to life group. Look, this is the will of God for you in your life. Are you going to walk in the will of God? Or are you going to sometimes, in some ways, do it your own way, hoping for the best, thinking it's going to work out, thinking that you're going to be able to walk in the light on your own when this is clearly saying, this is the will of God. And why is God saying this? Because he loves you desperately. The scripture is basically begging you to do this, saying, I know the world's going to call you away. I know the world's going to distract you. I know the world's going to make you busy, but this is who you are. This is what you need. I'm not saying your jobs aren't important. I'm not saying going to your kids' ball games is not really important. Like, I'm going to miss something soon because I'm not going to miss my, my daughter's ball game, right? Like, all of those things are important. Like, listen, your hobbies can be good things. I'm not knocking any of those things, but this is the thing. This is the foundation of your life. This is how you find out who you really are. So lately I've been giving you guys a lot of what ifs lately. Here's one. What if we didn't, we didn't treat church on Sunday and life group once a week as something we attend or as another obligation or even, dare I say, a chance for us to get solely to get filled up? I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and encouraged. But that's not the main reason you're here. But what if we treat it as a moment in time where we were going to obey the commands of God because we trust him. We were going to give faith, true faith to his promises for us and to believe him when he says this is what we truly need to experience him, to truly know him, to understand his deep abiding love for us and for others. And what if we were committed to this so that we might invite other people so they could, they could experience the same? 
What if we saw this as one piece of us fulfilling the great commission of teaching others to obey and to understand that Christ was always with them as we let others help us in the same pursuit? We actually allowed people in our lives in a way where they helped us and they built us in that same pursuit. I didn't write out my sermon this week for the first time ever because I can't do screens. And so I'm running along. And so I've got four things I want you to take away from today. I'm going to have to make it shorter than I was. But I'm going to give you, I'm, gonna, I'm doing two things I've never done. I never give you lists. Point one. Um, nothing wrong with that kind of preaching. You know, it's just not me, right? Um, but here's four things about the family of God that I want you to hear and I want you to walk in moving out of here. Here's point one. In this family, we are deeply honest. Don't come to Freshwater. Please don't come here. And if you're newer today, listen, this is your first step into it. You're stepping into the deep end today, right? We love that you're here. But like, I mean, seriously, but the deep end is what we're supposed to pursue. The deep end with Jesus. And so in this family, we are deeply honest how dare we have created a culture where it's not safe to say where you are and what you've been through. We, we are honest. We are vulnerable. We speak the truth of our hearts and what's really going on. And hear me. I said this on Thursday night. I want to say it again. I know for some of you that is so hard because people have burned your trust. The people that, even some of you, the people that you were meant, you were supposed to be able to trust, broke your trust. And it's so hard for you to trust. And it's so hard for you to believe that it's, it's safe, that you can be vulnerable. And it's so hard for you to say those things that are actually going on inside of you. But, but listen, listen, I understand that that's hard. And I love you. And we're empathetic. And I don't expect you to go from here all the way to here in one step. But here, I want you to take a step forward. You know why? Because your identity is not found in what people think of you. It is found in Jesus Christ. So even if you confess something deeply hurtful and honest and 12 of the people in your life group support you and one goes out and talks about it, it will break your heart. And I want you to hear, that is their sin, not yours. That is their problem, not yours. That is their, the cancer coming out of them, gossiping about you. And one of the things that destroys our church, your identity is found in Christ. And he says that you are forgiven, that you are beloved, that you are a part of his family. That's the truth. That is your truth. It's hard to confess. It's hard to speak the truth. But if we're going to grow, we must speak the truth. Your identity is found in Jesus. Trust that and do what he calls you to do. Point two. So in this family, we are deeply honest. Point two. In this family, we confess. Can you put up John, 1 John 1 for me? In this family, we confess. John says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That doesn't even start with fellowship with Christ, which is the most important. Isn't that crazy? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's some bold words from John, isn't it? Like, he, like, listen, this is what we do. We confess. We bring things out of the darkness and into the light. And then Christ's holiness in us, within us through his spirit, burns away that darkness and brings us into the light. When we do not confess, when we don't say out loud the things that we struggle with, our sins, the things that we're going through, it just owns us. 
And it gets dark, if you don't, especially if you don't talk to anybody about it, it gets darker and darker and darker to where it becomes a part of your identity and you don't even know how to let go of it anymore. Man, I had that conversation with someone this week. The darkness had become such a part of them, they don't even know how to let it go because they feel like it's a part of who they are. If you're in Jesus Christ, it is not a part of who you are. It is a lie that Satan has gripped around your heart to try to keep you as the old person, the person of the flesh. You are a person of the spirit. It's a lie. You are a person of the light. Walk in the light. Confess those sins. Confess what you're going through. Confess your heartache. Confess whatever it is. Bring it out of the darkness and into the light so that you might grow. Don't even throw it up there today, but James 5 says we confess to each other so that we might be healed. That's what we're trying to do, so we might be healed. Your, your healer wants to heal you. This is about freedom. This is why I always say holiness is freedom. Holiness is not a chain, it's freedom. So you can walk in peace and hope. But we don't, listen, we don't even mainly confess to each other. Put Psalm 32 up there. I love this passage. We don't have time to skip it. It's too good. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no, no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I, this is David, King David talking, right? The the guy after God's own heart. For when I kept silent about his sins, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as a heat in summer. I know some of you have felt this. Some of you feel this right now. It's eating away at your soul because you won't bring it out of the darkness into the light. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Not only did he confess it to the Lord, but it was confessed in front of a group of people. The person that we've really sinned against is God, not each other. We sin against God. So the, the most important thing is you need to confess to the Lord And let it go, like give it to the Lord. But we also need to confess to each other so that darkness doesn't still try to own us. We need each other to walk through this together. So in this family, we confess. This is the third point, but it's really part two of the last point. In this family, we confess. And in this family, we repent. Repent simply means, the simple version of repentance is, I've been walking in sin. I've been walking my own way. I've been walking in the world's way and I see it. And I'm going to confess that to the Lord. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And then I'm going to turn around and walk towards the light. I'm going to walk towards God's way. Because listen, we're never going to become a church where we confess these things to get get off our chest and feel better for a few weeks until we do the same thing again. Until we act in the same way again. We're not a confessing church. We're a church that confesses, then repents, and turns away from the things that we confess. And we help each other to do that because we can't do it alone. Listen, I've had sins that trap me so completely, and I've talked about them before, that without the help of community, I never would have walked away. I confessed and confessed and confessed for a while. It took me forever to confess. And then when I confessed, I kept confessing, but I never really turned and ran the other way. Repentance is we need to flee from sin, run the other way, and we got to help each other run. Because right when you've confessed it, you're not strong enough to run the other way yet. We got to pick people up and help them to run the other way. In this family, we repent. I'm skipping the Tim Keller quote. If you want to know an awesome quote from Tim Keller, come find me. It's so good. But we're going to stick with scripture today because I'm out of time. We confess and we repent to God to bring things out of the darkness into the light. And so, and so that we might encourage each other and exhort each other with the gospel. So they might accept love and forgiveness and healing. And then lastly, in this family, 
we sacrifice. We got to do it. Turn to Philippians 2. I got a few minutes left. Turn to Philippians 2 in your Bible. This is a passage that I don't know. I've probably read eight times in front of the church. I'm going to read it eight more times. This is one of those passages. I've been, I think I even said this not too long ago with this passage. You need to know this passage. You need to all but memorize this passage. This needs to be a part of who you are, right? When it says, like, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, this will renew your mind. Philippians 2, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, and he's not asking, this is not Paul asking if there's actually encouragement. He's saying, if you've experienced these things, and he says, I know that you have because you're in Christ. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We don't have time for that, but that's a mind blower by itself. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Which I love. That's a really hard thing to do, right? It's a really hard way to live. But it doesn't say, do this to be a good person. It's saying, you can do this because of this next part. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. You ain't kidding. But verse 7. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, humbled him. God humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen to that passage. Jesus came, and he sacrificed. And we all know his death, right? We talk about his death every week. No, his whole life was sacrificed. He could have come as a conquering king with all of the power, but he came as a humble servant to be mocked and ridiculed and cast aside and then killed for you. Don't put Mark up, but as Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my ransom and give my life as a ransom for many. Whoever wants to be the greatest needs to pursue being the least. This is what God has called me to. John 15, Jesus says, you want to show love? A friend sacrifices himself, gives his life for his friends. This is what God is calling us to. You want to be like Jesus? Without sacrifice, without suffering, you can never be like Christ. This is a part of it, church. We must sacrifice if we want to be like Christ. As the family of God, we should consistently and with commitment give our time, our money, our gifts, our other talents, our resources, and a big one for us in the American church, our convenience and our comfort so that we might serve each other well, so that we might be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ, so that we might build the, each other up in love. This is what we're, we're striving to be, church. This is a family where we are honest, deeply honest, where we confess, where we repent, and where we sacrifice for each other. Because listen, if we're all sacrificing for each other, then there really shouldn't be that many needs in our church because we're all taking care of each other. We're all growing in Christ and we're all being built up in love. Church, this is who we are going to be. This is who we want to be. And hear me, this is what God is calling you to because he loves you so deeply. 
And this is how he designed everything to work. This is why we're calling you. We're having life group signups right after this, like new life groups. We're launching new life groups. This is what we're striving for. And I know it probably for a lot of us, it sounds really great and also really intimidating. Right, exactly, and we know exactly this is what we need to do, but we look at our busy lives and we're like, how am I going to do this? Listen, we gotta figure this out because this is what we need. This is who we're supposed to be. This is how you are conformed into the image that you were created and reflect the light of Jesus Christ. This is it. And this is what I said on Thursday. This is what we're basing our whole church around. We're going back to trying to be as simple as possible. We are not a big enough church to have 35 different ministries. Churches get lost in all the ministries and the ministries become who they are instead of their identity being found in this. We're gonna keep it simple. And we're going to strive and we're going to train and we're going to encourage so that we might all experience this. Deep relationships in Christ, deep relationships with each other that actually transform our lives to reflect Jesus Christ, to become more like him. And then that would spill out of these walls into our community where they can't help but pay attention because God is transforming us so much. That our love is so genuine, that our love is so real. It can't help but tra- help begin to transform the community. I want to see lost people saved. Does that seem random? I want to see lost people saved and lost people saved in this community and in your communities and your jobs is going to come for you being extremely spiritual, healthy, and where you can't help but keep it in because God's doing so much in your life. That's what we're striving towards. Spiritual health that spills and maturity and love that spills out of here and changes those around us and changes our community. That's where we're going, church. So today, right after this, we're going to worship, and then out there, all the life group leaders are going to be out there. They're going to have their tables there. They're going to have the times that they meet. They're going to have maybe the co-leaders, maybe the hosts will be staying over because all of those things are settled. Hosts, co-leaders, leaders, all of that stuff, go out there and sign up. And as I said before, I want to encourage you to sign up with people that you haven't been in life group with before. I mean, maybe not completely, but don't go sign up with the same people. We need to get to know each other as a family. And I tell you what, life group is how you're going to really get to know people. And then one more thing, I've encouraged, really encouraged people, if you're in a discipleship relationship right now, I encourage you guys to sign up together. Because listen, Jesus did life with his disciples. And in the American culture, that's really hard for us to really do life together. But we're trying to create an environment where you're doing life as much as possible together. So if you're in church together and you're in life group together and you go to men's discipleship together and you disciple each other, all of a sudden you're in community, you're in life way more than you would be otherwise. We want that for you. We want you to know each other so that you might encourage each other in Jesus and in love. So go off after we're done singing, after church, head out there, sign up for your new life groups. We want you to sign up online. The life groups will walk, leaders will walk you through it. But with that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to get to worship you. Listen, like I was thinking about you, Jesus, your prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus, God, your name is worthy of being hallowed, of being worshiped, of being honored, of being given glory. God, we want to see your kingdom come and we want to see your will be done. And I think you're just communicating so clearly in your word that this is your will. This is how this happens. This is how we grow into those things. We know your will. We build your kingdom and we move forward so that other people might know you. So God, I know there's so many excuses, so many things, so many genuine things in people's lives that make this really difficult. God, I pray you'd help us all to make this the most important thing in our life to truly believe this is what we need. God, I know this can only happen through the power of your spirit working in people. We can't teach good enough. We can't have life groups good enough to lead people here. But with your spirit, all of this is, is possible. So we pray, teach us to love. Teach us to live out the Great Commission. Teach us to build each other up, Jesus, so that we might be conformed into, into your gracious, merciful, loving, holy name. For we pray all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.